Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Identity Insights by Indicio. I am your host, Tim Spring, and today I'm joined by Indicio Deputy CTO, Sam Curran, and he's here to discuss why being able to build on a variety of tools and credential types is important. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Sam. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, Sam Curran, I'm involved in the diff.com uh, community, um, the working group over there and the user group, um, as well as the, I've been involved in the ARIES community for a long time. Um, so spend a lot of time with both protocols and uh, credential types and governance and all the things that we're talking about today. All right, awesome. Yeah, always appreciate you taking the time to join us here. Uh, would you mind starting us off with a brief overview of what we mean when we say that, you know, uh, Indicio offers a variety of tools? Yeah, so there's lots of technology tools we apply to the to the um, to the types of uh, solutions that uh, that our customers are interested in producing, right? So we have different credential types, we have different types of protocols and governance mechanisms, etc. And all of these technology tools uh, combine together and to create the solutions that uh, that help with the the identity and the trusted data, uh, you know, solutions that, uh, that that we provide. Um, so we provide a variety of those because we have different customers, customer needs, and, and not all of the tools are the same. They're not all uh, perfectly equivalent or replaceable one to another. And so uh, you know, having a variety allows us to sort of custom fit the, the tools that we provide to the, to the customer's needs uh, that they're coming to us with. All right. Uh, so I know Indicio prides itself on being, uh, to a certain degree, technology agnostic. Uh, could you tell me what we mean when we say that? Yeah, so um, we have uh, we, our, our goal is to help our customers with their needs. Um, so we advise them on the right technology, what types of impacts that's going to have, what types of capabilities it will give them, um, and also in recognizing or handling any like interoperability requirements within a particular ecosystem or, or sort of border ecosystems, um, and in mandated requirements when they apply as, uh, as well. Um, the, we do have opinions about uh, about when certain technologies should should be used, and we advise our customers uh, upon that. Um, and so uh, we we support a, a wide variety of things, and, and we definitely recommend the right solutions, uh, you know, depending on what the customers actually uh, needs to produce. You mentioned there recommending certain solutions over others. I'm curious what kind of the criteria would be for some of those recommendations. Do you have any examples you might be able to kind of share with us? Yeah, so uh, part of it, uh, we, we do a lot of verifiable credential related projects. Um, and so part of it is, is what, what's the subject of the verifiable credential? If it's a person, it's different than if it's a thing or if it's an individual or if it's a company or, or an organization. Um, and, uh, and typically the types of credentials that organizations have, have far less privacy constraints than a user have, uh, has and also has different like usage kind of requirements. And so um, often the, the credential type that you want to use for a company will end up differing from the credential type that you use as a user because you have different both privacy and uh, use case considerations for, for both of those, those situations. So that's an example where we kind of find out about what they're doing and, and why, and then, and then recommend the, the right answer uh, depending on their requirements. All right. And what, uh, if you could, I, I don't know if you want to just like name drop some tools and stuff, but what are some of those better ones for individuals versus a corporation? So private, uh, particularly um, this gets into protocols as well, but but starting with credential types, um, the, the most privacy preserving features are are the, are the best. So um, so Anon creds has the most right now. Um, that may not be true in the future. And, and we want to always promote the credential type that has has the best options. Um, uh, uh, selective disclosure uh, present in BBS plus or, or SD jots, for example, uh, SDJWT um, is the is a, is a great uh, one when you when you may need different requirements than a non creds provides, but still have some selective disclosure capabilities. 
Uh, from a protocol perspective, um, there are uh, subtle nuances in, in the types of um, either trackability or persistent identifiers that are sometimes present in those protocols. Um, they generally a little, are a little bit more privacy respecting than the credential types because it's more about the communicating of the credentials than the actual credentials themselves. Um, but, uh, but understanding the impact of those technologies and how it works is, is important. Um, different protocols have different requirements on what a user has or what type of technology that they use. Um, some, uh, some favor, uh, Didcom, for example, does really well with mobile devices. Um, and in, in the sense that interactions can initiate both from a mobile device or from, you know, an organization server, um, some protocols are a little bit more uh, restricted in the fact that you, you have to be a little bit more present and, and the only thing they can communicate about is, is verifiable credentials. So it depends a little bit on, on what you're doing that gets a little bit outside the original question, which was, uh, I guess, more related to, to privacy, but, um, but there's, a, there's a variety of solutions there and it's important to pick the right ones. Sometimes there's regulatory requirements which uh, fix the types of, of, of uh, cryptography that can be used. Um, and in those cases, not all of the advanced features present in some of the other areas um, are capable of using FIPS crypto, for example. And so there's, it's, a, it's, a very, um, it's a very interesting balancing act between what you're trying to do and preserving privacy as much as possible and, um, and then either interoperability or legislative requirements within the, the partners that you're working with or within the legal jurisdiction that you'll be, you'll be practicing. And so there's a, there's a handful of, of, of challenges there. We're not always able to use the best privacy preserving technologies because of the requirements that are often enforced externally to our customers. Um, but we do absolutely everything we can to, to, to give them the best options that are available. All right. And I'm curious, I'm not sure if you would know this, but how often do you run up into, you know, regulation like that? Because the technology is so new, I'm not sure, you know, so those are already in place like that. Increasingly, it's it's coming along. Um, so the in the in the European Union, EIDAS 2.0 is coming in. It's not quite minted yet, but they're sort of in the latter phases. And so they have some sort of more solidified requirements. And um, there's interest in what the European Union does far outside of the European Union. Uh, and so we have uh, countries in Asia or companies in Asia and other places um, that are interested, and even here in the US, that are interested in they want to make sure that if they can, that what they do is compliant with those regulations. Um, and that's difficult because sometimes we have to explain what the regulations allow and how those technologies don't allow all of the features that they have become used to or that they want to deploy in, certain, in their system and helping them navigate the landscape of the available technologies and the goals that they have is, is a challenge. Um, you know, all of these things are not universally replaceable. And so kind of trying to explain the nuance of the choices um, in, in as clear of a way as possible is, 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 you know, one of the both challenges and opportunities that we have. No, I'm sure that sounds uh, fun and interesting, I'm sure, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, something that you kind of touched on there that I'm curious about more is when it does come to features, are there any features that first off are pretty much, you know, almost universal where when a customer is thinking of building something, they should probably look at these features and how are there any protocols necessary for those features, right? Like if you're building something, is it going to have Didcom per se, or is there a bunch of things like if you want one feature, you have to go with Didcom, or if you want this feature, there are a bunch of different things you can do. This is just like what most people recommend kind of thing. If that makes sense, I can try to rephrase that. No, uh, let, let me give an attempt. So um, one of the easier things to speak of is the uh, is is whether your uh, solution will be purely verifiable credential based and will have no other features around the exchange of verifiable credentials or whether you ha want to have other sorts of trusted interactions within the same flows and context, those verifiable credentials. And if that's your case, then there, there's not a um, 
there's not really a, a, a lot of argument there. Uh, all the protocols are, uh, the other protocols are, are very highly focused on verifiable credentials. Didcom is the only um, sort of generic uh, platform that allows for more than that. There are a set of verifiable credential specific protocols, but you can mix in other protocols around human communication or, or decision making or other sorts of things that, that can often be useful when you're building trusted interactions. And so if you if you desire to expand beyond just verifiable credentials, then Didcom's kind of the hands down winner. Um, there's a handful of things that are very equivalent. For example, um, the OpenID for VC related protocols. Um, and didcom protocols, both of those are credential uh, or technology credential type agnostic in the sense that they can pass SD jots or they can pass um, non creds or even ISO MDL or whatever. Um, and so that's that's not a really consideration. Both of those are, are kind of agnostic in that way. Um, there are some subtle interaction model differences, and that's a little bit harder to describe um, in uh, both API-driven and in things like OpenID for VC, there are specific interaction models that have been developed uh, underneath those technologies that work really well when you're at a browser or you have specific interactions with your phone, but it typically uh, involves the user taking a direct action in order to sort of initiate something to occur. Um, in DIDCOM, the protocols can actually be designed to, to, to initiate with either party. Um, which means, for example, that in, in the, uh, the OpenID for, for VC uh, or for VP world, that's for verifiable presentations, uh, if I uh, want to present a credential to a website, and let's say I'm sitting in front of a computer, um, then, uh, then I, I do the interaction, I, I scan the code, I, I approve the release of the credential, and then it happens. Um, and, and then let's say I walk away. Um, there, there are ways of doing uh, the, the, those, that same protocol on a mobile device, but it's a little bit different in the sense that they have to send me something like an email or a text and, and give me a link to like bring up a site to like make that happen um, so that they could perhaps ask me for an additional uh, credential later. Um, in, in DIDCOM, the, the, the ability to ask for the credential is not really related to, to my ability to bring something up in a browser, which means that, um, or, or, or bring it up in a dedicated app, but like off of a link they sent me which means that they can send me an in-band request through the DIDCOM connection that was created to request an additional credential. And then that can be uh, you know, popped up immediately in, in my wallet application. And I can respond within, within my wallet um, right within sort of the context that I was aware of originally uh, for that interaction. Um, furthermore, um, because that can kind of be initiated from the other side, not only from, from the holder side, there's other sorts of interactions they could they could send to enhance the user experience. I might get a message, for example, that says, hey, we're grateful for you signing up with the whatever, I'm making up a scenario, um, and uh, and we're grateful for the credential you already shared. We need to ask you an additional credential to like complete the process or to further it along or something. They can send me that message that shows up um, in, in, a, in the UX alongside the credential request that they can then follow it up with, which means that I'm not sort of jumping and sort of managing the context as myself as a user, but it's all presented uh, together within sort of the, 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 the same sort of security environment or the, or the context of, of the initial interactions. And so that ability to have protocols that are not only rich in human communication, but can be initiated by either side is, is very valuable. Um, and that's a little bit more nuanced to discuss. Uh, it depends a little bit on the on the types of interactions that people want, but I think that as people become more familiar with uh, with uh, credential technology in general, they'll be more familiar with with these sorts of options and, and what's available there. Um, one of the things that that uh, the OpenID for VP uh, for uh, VC protocols do really well is they help people that maybe have been previously afraid to be involved in verifiable credentials feel a little more comfortable with it. 
the OpenID brand is a very common one. The interaction uh, models um, are, are, are more familiar. And so for folks that are new and are you know, struggling to sort of come online or find an on-ramp into the, into the verifiable potential world, those protocols do a really good, good job helping people feel comfortable um, sort of joining um, you know, in, uh, the ecosystem and, and being involved in verifiable credentials. Um, it's not as expansive as I would like as the interaction models, but I'm gr super grateful that people have an option that helps them become more aware of this and sort of get them onboarded and in, 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 in interacting. And there's, uh, there's other ways that they can expand on that in the future, and including, uh, including the addition of more protocols. I, I think it's silly to think that somehow we're going to end up in one protocol world where everyone can just implement the one protocol and then we never have to do anything else, right? Um, I am convinced that we are going to be sm uh, smarter tomorrow than we are today which means that we'll be continually involving and adapting. And I believe we're always gonna end up in a world where there's more than one relevant protocol that we ought to support. And there's more than one relevant credential uh, technology that we ought to use as well for much the same reasons. Um, and, uh, and that's the world that we live in. Uh, I think it's the right world. Um, I think the, it's, it's one where uh, it, it's uh, flexible and allows innovation to occur, um, yet still solves like real business needs with the, with the needs that people have. What it doesn't do is it doesn't necessarily make the job of a technology provider super trivial, um, but we're kind of used to that. Um, browsers, for example, support all sorts of technologies. Early on, all they did was HTML. Um, and now we've got uh, styling with CSS and with, with, uh, with JavaScript and a whole board, bunch of stuff and different technologies have moved through the space. Like no one really uses Flash for browser interaction anymore, but it, at one time that was like really common, right? And so I also expect the, the, this verifiable credential ecosystem um, and, and trusted digital ecosystems to, ex, to expand and evolve through technologies as we learn both what is valuable and, and what people understand in the interaction models um, and, and also better ways of doing things. And, I'm, and I hope we're smarter tomorrow than we are today. And, and by modeling our systems in a multi-protocol, multi-credential world, we're able to take advantage of all the best options in front of us um, when we are interacting and providing customers uh, and our in, in regular people with solutions. All right. No, I think you make an excellent point there, and that it's. I got really wordy on you. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no worries. I liked uh, I liked your your bit about not going to a one credential world because uh, in my mind, right, it's almost like trying to make everyone use the same web browser or something, right? It's like everyone has their own uh, ideal options that they'd rather go with. Uh, when thinking about right those protocols and different credential types, though, uh, how much of a difference is there for the end user or for right that company? Is it only going to be really noticeable on the back end, uh, or is it so? Like that's a really good question. Um, the um, the basic interaction model, I believe, will be very similar. You know, they get a request to share a credential, they share the credential. That part, I think, is going to be fairly uniform. Um, the, the interesting part, though, is that the actual technologies used have an impact on their privacy, um, uh, the user's privacy, and, and kind of what they actually release or the, or the technology choices being used. And, and that's hard because now you're trying to communicate fairly technical nuance of things uh, to, to normal users. And, and generally, I think um, that most of those decisions will be made at an ecosystem level on behalf of users. And that's not super dissimilar from what happens today. Um, as an example, we're all used to the little lock icon on our browsers that indicate that the site that we're talking to is secure, right? And what that means is that the communication between your browser and the web server is secure. Um, and, uh, and, and most people don't understand the nuance of that. 
and the browser manufacturers have decided to include a bundle of top-level certificates for which sites are, sites are considered safe. Um, the governance technologies that are emerging in, in verifiable credentials, and there's a, a several uh, different approaches to it, help people understand from an ecosystem level how the system actually works and what they should accept. And this means that when I receive a credential request or, um, or I'm, I'm, uh, I'm being issued a credential from a particular uh, uh, participant in the ecosystem, that I have advice about how that actually works. And that advice might come from my company for company credentials or, uh, or the university that I'm, uh, that I'm a student at. Um, and by, by involving these governance technologies, we can advise users in a way that help them make good decisions, but without requiring the users to know all the technical details because they just won't, right? Um, and, and helping them to uh, helping them to to sort of bridge that gap and have the choices as, uh, that, that they necessarily need and the control over their information, um, but also in a way that you know maps between uh, normal human friendly explanations and then you know the technology choices and stuff that's actually happening in the back end. And and I believe that there'll be lots of these ecosystems and 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 that every credential that is issued or verified will actually be uh, issued or verified um, within the defined scope of an ecosystem where there is governance published to advise on sort of the operations of, 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 you know, what matters with these things. All right. So uh, I'm curious, right, we don't have uh, a ton of time left, but I appreciate uh, everything you've told me. Uh, if a customer were looking to start building today and, you know, they came to you with as blank a slate as possible, right, what would you kind of recommend that they really pay attention to or some technologies to look into uh, before starting their project? Um. I, I would want to help them understand and help them discover what their goals are and what they want to do, but also how fast and, and, and then what their tolerance is for adaptation over time. This technology is really new and because it's really new, it's, it's evolving in a really rapid way, which means that um, if, if your tolerance for rapid change is not very high, then you, we might advise people to make different decisions than, than if they, they do have a high tolerance for rapid change. Um, because uh, some of the better, newer, cooler features that we actually have are the ones that are moving a little bit faster. Um, and so it depends a little bit on kind of what they're doing and what their goals are. Um, and there's definitely progress in, 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 in uh, good applications of this technology today. Um, but, um, but you really need to understand as a company sort of what you're, what you're buying into. It's not like we've been making, you know, uh, verifiable credential technology like we've been making cars. We've been making cars for a long time and there is innovation there, but like you can buy a car and drive it around for years without worrying about the roads changing underneath you. And for some of this newer technology um, depends on, on, on what your goals are. You might be in a circumstance where it's going to rapidly change. And that's difficult because as a business, you need predictable, you need cost effective and everything else. And so uh, the, the speed at which you need to accomplish your goals is a highly relevant uh, aspect in addition to what your goals are um, and, 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 and kind of where you want to go in the future. How fast you need to get there is a really important thing to consider. Um, and so uh, it's worth talking to people in the industry that understand the breadth of technologies that are available, that understand uh, you know, what's possible um, and all of those things because that's, that's what's going to matter here, right? Um, uh, we want to advise people to make good choices that are going to fit their needs and, and be within their budgets and help deliver the value that they need. Um, and not, and, the, and the right answer is just simply not the same for everyone. All right. Uh, so sorry, I have one quick follow-up for you, which is when you're talking about, you know, the rate of change there, and you mentioned 
driving a car around for years. Uh, are we talking years? Are we talking months for how quickly these things change? Obviously, there's updates kind of all the time. But for those meaningful, like, oh, you're no longer compatible with whatever, uh, how often does that come up? Or is that also just so relevant? You know, it it depends on the regulation. I, I expect that the, the IDIS 2.0 regulation, for example, will remain relatively static once it's kind of settled, which it nearly is. Um, I expect it to remain static for, for at least a handful of years, maybe at least you know four to five years. Um, and so if that's the world that you want to live in, that's good. But you also have to recognize that some of the advanced features and the innovations that come along won't end up being, uh, they won't fit within that regulatory environment simply because, you know, they're trying to solve a particular problem. And so um, being, being ready uh, and, under, and understanding that that might be the case can allow you to plan for and then take advantage of newer technologies that kind of give you what you're looking for. Um, so it's not that the technology itself will cease to work. It's that the changing landscape around you will is likely to change the types of, of interactions that you have with sort of um, sort of external ecosystem partners. Within an ecosystem, the technology can run for a very long time with very few changes. Uh, the, the interoperability uh, issues or the time factor, the time scale that we're talking about really takes effect um, when you're interacting with sort of other moving partners in the ecosystem. And th th they're likely to make decisions one way or another um, that, that may adjust to the requirements that you have in order to remain compatible with them. And that's the type of movement that, that's happening really, really fast. Um, you, you know, it, it's, uh, you know if, if suddenly we all decided that we wanted to drive on cars that, that had metal wheels like trains instead of rubber wheels like tires, then there would be a sudden shift necessary in order to sort of make things like that happen. That doesn't really happen with cars. And so there's sort of standard interfaces and things that we can interact with. And there's still lots of innovation that can happen within that. Um, this is just a newer technology. And, uh, and, and so understanding your tolerance um, and, and the scope at which you hope to deploy, deploy the technology will matter as you're making technology choices. Um, and, and so those are all things to sort of take into account when you're, when you're trying to consider your deployments and how you want to leverage these technologies. There's really great power that can happen today and that can last a long time, but you can't make the assumption that, uh, that it's going to work the same way with sort of these extended ecosystem partners and with every possible wallet and, and everything else as, as you progress forward. And how is it, or how difficult, uh, sorry, I know I said that'd be the last question. Uh, how difficult is it to make those adaptations, right? Are there any, uh, I'm not sure if you could name names or anything like that, but are there any like ongoing things that Indicio does or, you know, we try to make sure that they stay up to date or anything like that, or is it just kind of a per project basis? So the, I think that in my opinion, the best way to ensure longevity of your project is to, is to make sure that it's based on open source technologies. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is, is that if a particular vendor happens to go away, you have the ability to pick up the open source technologies and continue to use it, even in the absence of a specific vendor. Uh, it, it's also probably easier to find another vendor that kind of wants to, to interact with you or, or, th or things like that. Uh, open source projects adopt newer technologies as, as they arrive, um, which means that sometimes you get the advantage of a community ecosystem, whether you build it or someone else builds it, you're able to gain, gain those advantages in the software packages that you use. And so open source, I think, is, a, is, a, is an excellent way to uh, to uh, sort of harness your cart, if you will, to a horse that's going to adapt and change over time. That does come with some responsibility and, and, and the need to help and support that community and be involved um, in a healthy way. Um, but that I think is, is probably the best advice for a long-term successful project 
uh, simply because your your success is not tied uh, 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 solidly to the success of any particular vendor that you might be interacting with. Um, the vendor solutions are, can be easy, um, you know, if it's a vendor specific solution, but uh, it, it can be easy, but you're very tied to the, the decisions they make as a company or the ways that they're encouraged to adapt their company, um, you know, you know, per, per advisors. Um, and, and that may not go well with kind of what your goals are. Um, when you base your, your choices off of open source technology, um, then you, you always have the option to continue to use the open source technology, even if the vendor goes away or simply goes a direction that you're that you're not excited about. Okay, good to keep in mind. Uh, it looks like that is about our time for today. So thank you so much for joining me, Sam. Uh, if you at home are interested in learning more about verifiable credential technology, uh, please be sure to subscribe to the channel. We'll continue to bring you some more educational content. If you have any questions or specific topics that you'd like for us to cover, go ahead and leave a comment below and we'll be sure to read and address them. Uh, thank you one more time to you, Sam. If someone's interested in learning a bit more about, you know, the different ways to implement decentralized identity or DCO's approach, uh, where would you suggest they look? There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, I mentioned open source, there's a lot of open source projects that we're involved in at the Decentralized Identity Foundation and uh, in Trust Over IP and uh, the, the Hyperledger Aries project is a great place to look. Um, if you're curious about the types of things, we do offer training as a company um, on the various different aspects of these things uh, or, or specific consulting if that's a little bit more of, of what you need. Uh, that can allow you to sort of make sense of some of these things in front of you um, and, uh, and and get some advice, you know, at the, at the beginning or, or really at any phase of your project um, to, to kind of help you uh, help you uh, navigate the, the opportunities in front of you.